I absolutely believe that investment in the relationship is needed. It's a long-term investment. And actually also what you will see is if you can create a high-performing team where there's a culture of support, of mutual understanding, of collaboration. That's also how you create a competitive advantage in many ways. People want to work for you rather than for the competitor. You can actually create also outcomes that are sustainable in the long term. Welcome to the Connected Leadership Podcast, hosted by Andy Lapata, the show where Andy and his guests explore the many ways in which relationships impact business decisions, make leaders' jobs easier, and help you to progress your career. Hello, and welcome to the Connected Leadership Podcast. I'm Andy Lapata. Thank you very much for joining me. We're going to go deep into the topic of connections today, and particularly building a culture of connection within an organization in particular. And obviously, this goes to the heart of what the podcast is all about. It's not just about those individual relationships that you build, but it's the connections all around you that make an organization really tick. And my guest today has just written a book on the topic called The Connection Quotient. You've heard of EQ. We've talked about LQ. You've heard of IQ. Now we're going to have CQ. And we're going to hear all about it today. So my guest is a Dutch leadership expert. And as I say, he's the author of The Connection Quotient. So Marco Bushman, thank you very much for joining me on the Connected Leadership Podcast. Well, thank you so much, Andy, also for the invitation. And I'm looking forward for our conversation. Me as well. Obviously, when someone writes a book that's so in the spirit of what I teach, I want to know more. And one of the beauties of recording a podcast like this is I get to go to the authors and have my own personal conversation with them to learn more. So that's a great benefit to me and hopefully to everyone listening as well. I want to pick up a thread, something I picked up from your book, and it's a thread that's come up from a number of recent episodes of the Connected Leadership Podcast, not least my conversation last week with Sam Horn, who's the author of Talking on Eggshells, where we talked about conflict. That's the importance of seeking to understand rather than trying to win every argument. How does that show up for you? Oh, it's, I think it's a fundamental. It's interesting when you say seeking to understand or seeking to win. You know, this is not about the way how to do it, because ultimately we're talking about a mindset. And I'd like to add here something, because for me, I would say maybe it's not even about seeking to understand. Maybe what we're discussing here is seeking to explore. And through the exploration, you and I, like for instance, right now, you and I, we're going to explore the topic for the next 45 minutes. And through the exploration and by raising the questions, you both and I will understand But, you know, the exploration also might lead to some disagreements or some non-understanding. And we could actually be okay with that as well. So the mindset of the willingness to look into the thoughts of the other person, the way they think, the way they show up, the way they got to the insights, that exploration for me is more important ultimately than the understanding ultimately. Yeah, it makes absolute sense. It's an interesting take on it. And it gets me thinking about something I haven't, I don't think really discussed before, and that is the role of curiosity, which I've certainly discussed, but the role of exploration, to use your term, in building relationships. And I think a very simple comparison, if you like, to bring this to life is that awful elevator pitch conversation Mm -hmm. that I tend to avoid. Well, I I avoid it in real life for sure, Uh but I tend to uh, avoid discussing on on this podcast because I don't want it to be purely about networking events, but sometimes it's appropriate to look at that. 
But that elevator pitch conversation, I can tell by your response, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Absolutely. You know, I, I meet you at an event. I ask you, what do you do? You give me an elevator pitch. You then ask me what I do. I give you my elevator pitch. We exchange business cards, shake hands and walk in the opposite direction to each other. Yeah. This is the fundamental opposite to that, isn't it? That rather than trading pre-prepared speeches where we're seeking to explore we're having a conversation where we're bouncing in different directions we're trying to understand where the other person is coming from we're trying to understand our own beliefs our own prejudices as well in doing that and go deeper and when we share that experience with someone else isn't that a lot more satisfying it doesn't it lead to a deeper connection it's a year's end i would say andy i think it also depends on context you know, if I look at the relationship right now between you and me, you might actually look at the relationship from two angles. The first angle is the functional angle. So we're here also to share ideas, to explore, you know, not only you and I will learn, but also your listeners or the podcast. They're interested to get some insights and they can take it away to their own lives, either business life or a personal life. So there's a functional angle to it. And in that sense, I might also debate that at a fair, and I meet someone and we're doing an exchange of the functional, like what is your elevator pitch? You know, what is your essence? What is it that you're doing? It's an exchange of the functional part. And that would also may give me insight, like would Andy also be interesting for me to take it forward, the relationship? So might I reach out to you afterwards and say, let's talk business. Let's see if that would make sense. So in that sense, the functional angle, the elevator pitch has meaning in that context. Now, if you go for a longer term relationship and it would only be the functional, the doing piece, I would say it's an IQ driven conversation. I think on the long term, it would not last. Why? Because also ultimately it's the people who exchange and it's people who make connections. So next to the functional, there's also a relational angle to it. And then on the long term, for instance, in friendships or in business relationships, we also want to have like a relationship where we are becoming a little bit more intimate. I get to know you, get to know me. We get to to laugh. We get to to discuss. We get to agree and disagree. And there's a mutual trust underneath. And I would say for the longer term, only the functional exchange would not work. And then I'm with you. The exploration should be more than just a functional, but also a relational angle to it. Now, in the spirit of exploring this more deeply, I absolutely hear what you're saying. And there is that role for the functional. I've always said functional elevator pitch explain that what I call the networking dance at an event is what makes people so uncomfortable about networking or one of the main things. And actually asking someone what you do when you don't know them and don't care is the wrong time to ask. But that's the intent is then different, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. But but here's my point. So if you start, and it's a little bit of an unorthodox approach, but if you start with the exploration, you get to the point where you care about the functional. So for example, if you're at an event at a conference where there's speakers, if instead of going up to a stranger and saying, who are you? What do you do? You say, you know, which talks have you been to and what stood out for you? What did you learn from them? It's a much more interesting icebreaker that leads to a much more interesting conversation that could lead to an exploration of a mutually interesting topic, at which point you then say, actually, I want to know more about this person. What do they do? Now, I'm absolutely with you, Andy. And I, I guess what we're debating here is also what's the intent of asking that question and creating the relationship. And probably like I'm like you, you know, if I'm also at a fair, I would love to also get 
a relationship. I would be sincerely interested in the other person. And for me, that would also be more beneficial to really build a relationship. And I, I'd rather have like three, four good conversations instead of like maybe 20, just shortly like, who are you, who am I? And I continue again. So I think for you and me, we definitely would go for that question like, so tell me, wh- wh- where did you go? You know, what's the learning? You know, what was the purpose? You know, what is it you would like to pass on? And, and you know, we could have that conversation. But then again, I still would say, if you're there in order to get new relationship because you're new to the business and you really want to expand and your intent is to get a first impression about who's here and who might be interesting to have a further deeper exploration from a functional business perspective, then I would say go for 20 pitches in one hour. <laughs> Don't make me one of them. That's all I would say. <laughs> but let's, because for me, it's a soulless conversation and it's too transactional. <laughs> I've been to too many networking events in my life and it's meant I'm allergic to being asked, what do I do? Yeah. But, you know, Andy, but, but here's also the point, you know, if you look at like, for instance, the book, The Speed of Trust mm. by Stephen M. R. Covey, you know, he also debates there are four key ingredients of building trust. And actually, if you look at the four key ingredients, two of them are functional and two of them are more relational. So it says like, you know, in the core, it is about showing competences and results. And why does it also add to trust? Because it also makes sense like, okay, you and I, we could actually have that conversation and we could actually build a relationship and, you know, you could be beneficial in a functional angle. Now, what he also debates is to deepen, really to deepen that trust. It's much more about the relation, about the character. It's about intention and integrity. So that's also where you really start showing up and start deepening the conversation and it becomes much more personal as well. And it also means like I can trust you that, you know, if we're in it together and I do a sales and we do a sales and if I mess up, you know, if something is being messed up, I would look in you and you would actually say, I'm out there to support you. I'm not walking away when we mess up. I'll be there with you. So, again, you see the functional has a meaning, has an added value, although on the long term, I would say it's too minimal. And that's also why I think that people walk away when it's too much the functional and only just exchange of pitches but there's no relationship at all. It doesn't feel good. Yeah, I, I don't think we're too far apart. I think it's about the order of things for me. One of my things I always said is don't ask what someone does until you care about it. Yeah. And it's about, I would say, find the rapport first yeah. rather than saying, are you useful for me? Because also that functional of are you useful for me yeah. discounts people where there might be an incredible rapport, a real connection, yeah. not an obvious use in a transactional functional sense at the moment, but you never know. You don't know who they know. You don't yeah. know where they might be able to support you or you support yeah. them in five years' time. Well, so, actually, and actually, while you say this, I would say I'm absolutely on your side here. <laughs> While we're discussing, I'm just also reflecting back on some encounters I have had with some top executives, you know, where we also met. And that was also really like if I could also be an executive coach within that company. And I also tend to first go to the more personal stuff, also a little bit more about family and so on. And to be honest, some people are sincerely not interested. Yeah, totally. 
Totally. You have to find the common ground. Yeah. Uh, and I guess this goes into the whole topic of connection. Yeah. You have to read individual personality styles, yeah. which again, we, we've discussed recently on the podcast, but yeah. there are all the different psychometric tests and personality tests that we've talked about Absolutely. recently. But for me, you can boil it down in terms of the conversation we're having now into yeah. is someone predominantly transactional in yeah. their mode of conversation or are they relational? If they're very transactional and you start leading with, tell me about your family, they're going to be thinking, why does he want to know about my family? Absolutely. Vice versa, if they're more relational and you lead about, can I work with your company? They're thinking, why does he want to work with me? He doesn't know me yet. So yeah. you have to be able to read that. I, I want to move this on a little bit, sure. but I want to stay on the topic, but just move the context of the conversation. Sure. That is, you know, I introduced the podcast as the theme is creating a connection culture within an organization. So yeah. let's stay on that topic of seeking to explore yeah. and how does that show up within an organization and within teams? How can we shift the conversations we're having at the moment into ones that are more focused on exploration? Where is that lacking and yeah. how do we move? Yeah. Well, you know, if I'm allowed, then I would like to answer that question through a little exercise. Of course. I, I tend to do a lot with teams and individuals. In that exercise, I just ask people like, so think back about the best performing team that you've been part of. You might even think yourself, Andy, if you think about the best performing team that you've been part of. And, and here's also, you can actually define your own best. So, some people might define the best like I've earned the biggest money, the biggest salary or biggest bonus. Others might say we had the biggest, highest impact on society or on our customers. Some people might even say like, you know, it's a sports team. You know, we were average as a team, but hey, you know, every Sunday it was a joy to be there. So you can define your best in many ways. You can think about a business team, a current business team, a previous business team. You could think about a group of friends. I'm okay with that as well, or a sports team, a group of volunteers, anything. But here's the question, Andy. Here's the question. If you think about that best team that you've been part of and you compare those best team experience to the average teams, or even the low-performing teams where you would like to run away from. You ask yourself, so what are the attributes that really stands out in those best-performing teams if you compare them to the average or the low-performing teams? So what are the attributes that were present in those best teams that were less or not present in the average or low-performing teams? Now, here's what I've done. I've raised this question, I think, to thousands and thousands of individuals as well as teams. And we've always written down the answers. But before I go there, so what would be a couple of your answers? What are some of those attributes that stands out in those best teams? Let's do it right now, life. Well, I think that there's one team I'm thinking of. I, I was involved with a group of local business leaders who yeah. for a number of years put on a conference for charity in our local area. Mm -hmm. And we were very successful, way beyond our expectations. Yeah. If I was to look at the, the key characteristics of those teams, I would say, or, or that team, I would say very different personality styles, but with a common aim and a common goal with clarity around what we wanted to achieve. Very clear boundaries around who is responsible for what. And to be honest, to a large degree, everyone left each other to their area of responsibility without second guessing them and without trying to interfere. There wasn't much overlap or argument over whose territory it was. I can't think of anything really serious that came up in that sense. And that's quite unusual, I think. It is, um, yeah. 
So people left each other to get on with it. There were no clashes of ego, yeah. which I think... Oh, if I may interrupt. Yeah. So again, I always say, when you say no clashes of ego, you know, if I say, do not think about the, the car you're driving, where does your mind go? To the car you're driving. So instead of the no clashes of ego, if you would flip it around, so what was there present in that team? Well, there was a, it goes back to the common goal. There was a humility, but certainly a common goal and a collaborative culture. So I, that's off the top of my head. I would suggest those qualities for sure yeah. resided within that team. An ability to celebrate our success. Celebrate success. Yes. Yeah. May I ask you one more question? You also said sure. there are different personality styles. Now, if there's different personality styles, it could either work out brilliant or it becomes a big mess. My assumption is it became powerful. So yeah. what was underneath here that you could actually could build on the different personality styles? One of the things I talk about a lot on the podcast, and I notice how the interviewers switch. Now I'm the interview. <laughs> That's probably a first. Yeah. One of the things I talk a lot on this podcast about the importance of cognitive diversity. Yeah. So different perspectives, different abilities yeah. create a better team. If everyone is like you, yeah. you're not going to get things done. And so I think that plays out. People weren't treading on each other's toes. Yeah. You know, I wasn't interested in the finance or the sponsorship and pursuing that and treading there because that wasn't my skill set. Yeah. You know, I focused on my skill set because that's where my strength lay. If you have a team of everyone whose strengths overlap, then you're going to start getting more pressure in terms of where the boundaries lie yeah. and when people start fighting over that that's when teams start imploding you can yeah. contribute and you can suggest and advise and we certainly all had discussions but ultimately we respected the person who led each area yeah well thank you and thank you for allowing me to interview you there and <laughs> on your own podcast here and here's why so let me give you a little bit of a frame and then i'll come back to your original question about how to build that culture if I look at organizations or teams or functions, I always look at them through two lenses. The first lens is, I would say, much more a functional lens. Why? Because every organization, every team, every function exists to produce results. And if you want to produce results, you have to bring in your IQ to design stuff. For instance, what is our vision? You know, What is our business model? What is our strategy? What is our year plan? What are the tasks, the roles, responsibilities? What is the decision-making process? So from that angle, every organization, team, function, the results needs to be brought in. So it's IQ-driven. And this is also where, although we're called human beings, I would say this is the human doing part. Now, next to it, that's the second lens. Whenever I look at teams, organizations, and functions, they exist out of people at least for now. I'm not sure where we're heading with all the AI, machine learning, and so on. But at least for now, the organizations didn't exist out of people. And we bring people together. This is also where dynamics kicks in, where we start to talk about the diversity and inclusion, for instance, you also were talking about the cognitive diversity. But it's also where you celebrate success, where you also might have a little bit of competition going on or conflicts, and hopefully those are healthy conflicts. And you might even say this angle is much more EQ, emotional quotient driven. It's much more the human being part. So it's also the relational part. So there's the results, there's the people, there's the IQ, there's the EQ. There is also the doing and the being piece. Now, here's where it becomes interesting, Andy. I've asked you that question and I've written down your answers. 
And when writing down your answers, I see the pattern that shows up, that is typically that shows up, whoever I ask, from whatever part of the world. So if you were to look at the doing piece, you said like there is a common goal, there's a common aim, you know, that's something you design that we need to take in. So that's the doing part of it. There's clarity on the roles, there are clear boundaries, all things that you can design. You still need the mindset to follow it, but it's all elements that are designed. Now, if you also were to look at the other answers of yours, that there's two thirds of the attributes that you discussed are much more the EQ driven or the being pieces. So there's the cognitive diversity. It's a people, a, a, a person piece, where we also not only have the cognitive diversity, but also the willingness to build on it. There's also the different personality styles it's without second guessing. So there's a mentality that we create clarity. There's a humility, the collaborative culture, and we celebrate success. So you see right now, one third of your answers are much more the doing answers and two thirds are the being answers. What I notice, what I see when, when high performing teams, they understand that there's a paradox here involved. The paradox is that they are absolutely equal, the doing and the being, the IQ and the EQ piece. Because if you and I would only have an IQ, a functional relationship, it might work for one podcast. It might not work for the long term if you don't feel the connection. It's the same in your team. If you would have a manager that only asks you questions on the functional angle, but is not sincerely interested in you as a person or what's happening back home or how you're feeling and is willing to support you. At some point you leave. You know, the research from Gallup that the American Institute also shows people join a company because they love the vision, the product, the strategy, but many people leave because of the misconnection with their manager. So if it's only doing and without being, it's not gonna work. Now, if you flip it around, if it's only being in our relationship, it's a nice conversation, but doesn't lead anywhere without the doing. It, it doesn't work on long-term either. It's the same if I would be a manager and we would only say, let's have beautiful podcasts. Let's always listen to Andy's podcast together and discuss, but we don't get the work done. You know, probably I get fired first and the rest of the team, people want to contribute to something as well. So it's not sufficient just to have a, a lovely culture that doesn't lead anywhere. So you see, organizations understand there's a paradox. They are absolutely equally important, the doing, the being, the functional, relational, IQ, EQ. Your answers already show that one third of your answers are IQ driven, two thirds are more EQ driven. And I've seen the same amount of answers, the same spread of attributes everywhere, constantly. So back to your question then, when you said how to build it. I believe that companies and managers and people who understand the paradox that you have to have your IQ, you have to have the skills, you have to have the knowledge and so on. But they really understand it's the difference. What makes a difference It's the people. So if I do not only manage my clients, but if I manage my people, if I support my people so that they can show up in the best that they are and they are willing to support each other and share and also come from that there is enough rather than, you know, I need to protect and hold my power here. You know, that's why you make the difference. If you're in a leadership position and would like to review your own professional relationship strategy, you may be interested in booking a 15-minute call with Andy. Please visit andylapata.com forward slash discovery to find out more. I think that's brilliant. It makes complete sense. I think that the ratios sound right to me as well. 
having that blend of eye on the prize, if you like, very strategic, objective focus work, but then getting the chemistry right and the culture and the environment right to create the space to deliver on those objectives. That third to two thirds makes a lot of sense to me. It's quite funny. Someone mm. recently commented on one of my YouTube videos, which was a clip from a Connected Leadership podcast from a couple of years ago, where my guest was talking about not only focusing on hard work, but supporting people along the way. And the comment was, so are you just suggesting that you encourage people to be lazy? Uh, you know, I think that person now needs to listen to this podcast because yeah. uh, yeah. on top of the one with Vidusha, which was the original one, because it's there's a tendency to look at these key ingredients of a successful team in yeah. isolation. Yeah. Are you a hard worker? Are you skilled in this area? Do you get on with people? But you've got to look at the whole blend. You know, I know. And Andy, you know, that's what I also keep debating. I somehow also do understand how and why, you know, if we're born as, you know, young children, you know, we're run by emotions and, you know, at one moment we cry, then we angry, then we celebrate, whatever, you know, and it's all fine. And then we go to schooling systems and more into society. We get all sort of rules and structures and how you should do it. When do you speak up and when not? When you're in a classroom, you have to sit still rather than constantly move around. So more and more, there are also the IQ and the structures and the procedures kick in. And somehow also, if you look at like a leader, you know, if I want to run the company or my team, if I would also talk with you about what are your goals, your objectives, what are your numbers here? It's in a way, it's a safe conversation because at the end, I can say, Andy, either you performed or you didn't. Either you succeeded or you failed here. So in a way, you know, it becomes a little bit more digital. It becomes a little bit more safe. And either it's, well, if I put enlarge it, it's either it's right or wrong. Whereas when we talk about the being component, the emotional component, it's a long-term investment. And it's also sometimes a bit scary because you don't always know how the other person will respond when emotions kick in. I absolutely believe that investment in the relationship is needed. It's a long-term investment. And actually also what you will see is if you can create a high-performing team where there's a culture of support, of mutual understanding, of collaboration. That's also how you create a competitive advantage in many ways. People want to work for you rather than for the competitor. You can actually create also outcomes that are sustainable in the long term. But it's a long-term investment, whereas the IQ is a short-term Either you did it right or wrong, or if the numbers are red, I just change the trend, the, the organization form, and I lay off some people and it can be black again. Yeah, this is a common problem that I come across, that so many of the people I work with are working to short-term what you would term IQ or functional targets, and that doesn't allow them the space to develop the long-term relationships to deepen those relationships, nurture them so yeah. that they can get much more impactful or the sustainable results in the long term. My last corporate job, which is 25 years ago nearly now, yeah. uh, I left because any decision I made on a local contract in the east of England was mm. subject to the quarterly fluctuations for the company as a whole globally mm. on the New York Stock Exchange. Yeah. And it just, for me, didn't make any sense. Yeah. But I love what you're saying here, Andy. This to me didn't make any sense. 
So you see, what we're getting onto, we're getting more and more closer to, I guess. Also, if you look at leadership, many people describe leadership or connection as something that's happening between people. Like, you know, also when I was, so what's connection? People always say like, oh, it's something between you and me or between the team or the organization and the world and so on. And I say, yeah, that's true. You know, connection is defined also by what's happening between people. But then you're forgetting the most important connection, and that's the connection with yourself. And that's the same with leadership. If you want to lead others, you first need to be able to lead yourself. And that means like where and how do you slow down? Not only to reflect on your behaviors, your actions, which is, again, more the cognitive, the IQ piece. You've done a certain behavior. You had a certain impact. And then you can decide after your reflection, maybe next time in order to be successful or be effective, I need to raise more questions than giving answers. That's a cognitive result. But next to it, as a person, where we slow down, where we start connecting with ourselves, as a person, as a leader, we should not only do slowing down to reflect, but also to introspect. And introspection is actually much more understanding what are my drivers for this behavior? What are my drivers to stay with this company or to work for this company? When you said it didn't make sense, it means like you were exploring your drivers, you were exploring your thinking, your emotions, your values, probably your fears, your needs, your beliefs, and so on, your experiences from the past. And based on that whole discovery, at some point you made a choice like this doesn't make sense to me. And therefore, if I understand that this this is not my driver anymore, then the question is now, what will you do? And then it seems like you left the corporate environment. But it starts by where and how do you dare to first connect with yourself and lead yourself before you start creating and defining connections about something that's happening between you and me or leadership that's happening between you and me. You know, this is something that has come up intermittently throughout the last two or three years of the Connected Leadership podcast. This idea that you can't truly connect with other people without really understanding and connecting with yourself. And it's so powerful. I've become much more thoughtful about how important my values are to me, despite having done values work over the years. It's become much more meaningful to me since having these conversations. And it has probably played a big role in the connections in my personal life as much as in my professional life, surrounding myself with people who do share them, not necessarily the same opinions, but the same values. And I think that's an important differentiation. Um, Within an organization, it goes back to my answers to your questions earlier. And the first reason I gave for that being a, a successful team was that we had a common objective in other words a common value that common value was supporting charities in our local area yeah and that's what ultimately more than anything else probably made that a successful team yeah so i think it's such such an important point it is and again it's so beautiful that you also say like you know the values we were aligned on our values you know we felt it so it's not only a cognitive because sometimes you see companies i see companies where they have the values and they put it on the walls and say look these are our values you know and then if i look at the behaviors on how they interact with others or interact with me i go like but if that's your value now how do you showcase it it's nice paper paper is patient but we have to feel it we have to sense it yeah again something we've talked about a lot and i have a bugbear about you know these exercises the lip service almost you have to really have full sign in and belief in it i want to move on because i think that one thing i want to do before we finish our conversation 
is introduce and understand your connection quotient to our listeners. Because I think what we've created in our conversation so far is a really strong platform from which you can introduce it. So can you tell us about the connection quotient and how that works and how it's applied by an individual and by a team? Yeah. So, you know, when I started to explore what does it mean, what is connection or what creates connection? You know, I've been talking to so many people and I just raised that question constantly. And I got so many, so many diverse answers. It's really hard to grasp. So even in my book, The Connection Quotient, I've never defined the phrase, what is a connection? And somehow I also feel like it's not needed because connection is so fundamental. Everyone knows. I would say it's like breathing. It's so fundamental for life. With the breath, you and I, we've been breathing for quite some time, even over the podcast. You know, you keep breathing, I keep breathing. Otherwise, we wouldn't be alive. But do you really think about it? You don't. It's one of those things that are crucial, but we don't think about it. And I think it's the same with connection. Connection is something that's so fundamental because it's not only fundamental from where we come from. In the past, you had to be connected in a smaller community in order to survive. But even right now, as a child, when you're born, if you don't have a connection with someone who's taking care of you, you will die. It it ain't going to work. Actually, just a short sidestep even here. Long-term Australian research has shown that people at a higher age, older age, who are still strongly connected to others, even physical connected, they live longer. So you see, connection is something like breathing. It's fundamental to life. And you only start noticing when the connection is there. It's the same with breath when, you know, it's hampered. So, for instance, with the breath, when, you know, we had COVID over the last years, you know, when you suffered from COVID, you suddenly felt like ah, the breath is not good anymore. Or when you're standing close to a fire, there's a lot of smoke. You suddenly feel like the breath is not working. It's not that solid anymore. And it's the same with connection. So if the connection is not there, you will notice and it will have an impact when you have friendships. And at some point, you don't want to pick up the phone anymore. The connection is deteriorating. You start noticing it. So back to the connection coaching. So I interviewed so, so many just, just on that point. Sorry, Marco. Just on that point, recent conversation on here with John Nyland and Una Murphy, John was saying about his theory of precipitated retirement. And he was saying that a lot of people, as they're approaching a retirement age, let their connections drop off. You know, a lot of people of their age that they're connected to will retire themselves. And they're not reconnecting back with younger generations in the workforce. And what happens is that they get to that retirement age, and even if they don't want to retire, they're forced to because they don't have the connections to keep them in the workplace or find a new role. So I think that's very much what you've just said ties really strongly in with that. Effectively, they stop breathing and therefore the opportunity to work disappears for them. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's fundamental. It takes it to a different sidestep here where we could even debate how is also society nowadays also supporting the connection and the truthful and honest and also the physical connections. And what will it be like in 20 years from now, you know, where more and more virtual reality kicks in? I'm not sure. But for now, let's palm that one. Otherwise, we'll be opening up a whole new topic. <laughs> but if you go back to the connection, so again, you know, it's fundamental. It's like breathing. We feel it. We sense it. It's out there. And if you ask people, so how do you create connections? There's so many ways on how to do so. So it also led me to the question now, if connection is so fundamental and there's so many elements which contributes to connection or to disconnection, 
how can you then also build your connection? How can you make it stronger? Or as I would call it, how can you build your connection coefficient? And for me, that also led to, we have to look at connection through a different framework. And the first lens that I introduced is also, it's not about the skill sets, it's not about the mindsets and so on, but it's much more about how are you first connected to yourself. And from that first connection, you might go to the second layer, how are you connected with one, the first representative of the other world? So the connection with the other, like you and me right now, Andy, you're the representative of the outside world to me. And through the conversation, exploration, we learn and we, you learn something. And, you know, not only on the topic, but also about yourself as well as I. Then the third, the second, the next layer would be that's the connection with yourself, the other, then a group of others, which we would call a team, then the connection with the organization, and you might say the connection to the world. Now, that's only the foundation. What I also added, and what we already spoke about, is you can actually look at every level of connection through two lenses, the doing and the being piece the IQ and the EQ, the functional and the relational. So here's a short example. At the age of 35, I was around 35, everyone would debate, including myself, and maybe probably I myself was the first one to debate it. Look at me, I'm successful. You know, at the age of 30, I was ranked major in the Air Force, and I moved over to Capgemini within the year. I was invited into management roles. You know, I had this lovely position, you know, a good salary, a nice house, you know, a beautiful wife with two kids. So everyone would say, debate, you're successful, including me. I was the first. From a cognitive piece, from the IQ piece, I had all the elements in place. But what I also noticed, although I was successful, I was not fulfilled. I noticed that my energy was draining, the relationship with my wife was not going well. So although I was successful, I was not fulfilled. And up till then, you know, based also on my past, the divorce of my parents, I've always taught myself if I work hard, I study hard, I would have a good career, money, and therefore I'll be happy, I'll be successful, and I'm someone. So I always needed that external recognition from the doing piece. And I really started to look inwards and say, like, but really, who am I? What drives me? What are my values? What is that I want to leave behind as a legacy? How do I want to relate to my kids? And then really also that deeper discovery of the being part, my value part, let me also see, like, you know, who am I? Who do I want to be? What is it that I want to have? And by asking that question, also working with coaches, so flipping around to do have be to the be. Who are you? Who do I want to be? What is that I want to have? It also led me to two important live events. The first one is letting go of my management roles. And my second was also the divorce because I was in a relationship. I was also not fulfilling for the long term. So you see, at that level for the connection with myself, not only talking from the doing, are you successful, but also asking yourself from the being part, are you fulfilled, already gives a new layer. And that's what you can do also at the level with in relationship with the other. I could ask you, for instance, what is your ambition? And mostly when you ask people, what is your ambition? They will come up with a functional answer. Whereas if I would ask you, Andy, what is your dream? Mostly people also let go of the work and also start integrating their personal lives and also like, you know, what is truly important to me? And they allow themselves to dream. Or at the organization level, we should not only discuss like, what's your structure? but also what's your culture. We should not only talk about the processes, but also about the ethics. So you see the 
connection coaching says, there's the first layer, how about do you connect with yourself, with the other, the team, the organization and the world, and then also look at those different levels, both from the functional as well as the relational, both from the IQ, the EQ, the results and the more personal perspective. And that is in essence, what I describe and give a lot of examples and theory and exercises to really start owning all those levels and explore yourself there. And can you run this exercise, run this um, connection quotient as a team, as much as as an individual? So as a team, what's important to us? What are our dreams? What are we trying to achieve now as a team? How are we connecting with other teams now as a team? Absolutely. How are we connecting with the wider community? Absolutely, Andy. Absolutely spot on. And the point is also when you design how to work together as a team, as a team contract, you should not only talk about what are our goals and is there clarity on the roles and do we have clear boundaries as in your personal example, that those are the functional agreements that you should make as a team together to have an appetite for success and to get it going. But we should also discuss, so but how do we speak up, you know, when we disagree or when I feel like I'm not feeling seen or supported amongst each other or where there's a little bit of conflict? How do we want to be with the conflict as well? So again, as a team, you need to talk both about the doing and the being, the IQ and the EQ elements. Marco, you've given a lot of food for thought. It's one of those podcasts where you wish you had longer. And I know in theory I do, but I try and keep to an implied promise of a consistent length of podcast. Sure. But I know you go into to great depth on each of these areas in the book, The Connection Quotient. So if people want to explore further, they can pick that up and they can really dig deep. And, and you're talking about things like, you know, dealing with conflict about whether, you know, the balance between being selfless and selfish and a lot more as well. So I think it's worth pointing people towards that. But in the meantime, thank you for sparking the conversation, helping us to begin to explore what connection really means to us and for joining me on the Connected Leadership Podcast. Well, thank you so much again, Andy, for the invitation. It's been my pleasure. And thank you so much also for our exploration together. So thank you so much to Marco for joining me and an interesting and intriguing exploration it certainly was. So the book is The Connection Quotient and Marco does go into detail on each of those different stages, those different levels of connection that I think are really worth using that word again, really worth exploring. So thank you very much to Marco for joining me. I'm really excited about the quality of guests that we've had recently on the podcast. I always take pride in these episodes and the guests that I attract. Someone said to me recently, they said, my God, you're really, I can't remember the term, but really hitting it at the moment. We've had some phenomenal people and it's a nice balance as well of people who are like Marco and Sam Horn last week who are subject matter experts helping us to dive deeply into their area of expertise and others who have achieved a lot in their life outside that academic or business field you know the fields of basketball for example we had a couple of weeks ago the week before that film production and so forth so if you haven't been checking out the recent episodes please do my occasional nag it really helps this podcast get found if you rate and review it on the channel you're listening on to rate it it only takes a second just go in just press on five stars assuming it's out of five on that channel i'm making an assumption for you but but i just want to make your life as easy as i possibly can but just by taking that one second step 
you really will be helping and contributing to the success of this podcast. And I really appreciate that. And do stay in touch. But whatever you do, join me again next week for another episode of the Connected Leadership Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Connected Leadership Podcast. If you found this valuable, please subscribe, tell your colleagues and friends, share on social media, and post a review on the podcast channel you use to listen to it. And of course, join us again soon for another interesting interview and great Connected Leadership tips.